what's next for digital transformation in Europe, executive leadership roles and responsibilities, and digital transformation and distribution in field services. Those are just a few of the topics we're going to cover today in episode number 142 of Transformation Ground Control. This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberling. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 142. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome back to the show as always. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here today. Excited to have you. Excited to have the audience here. And this is the weekly podcast that has everything to do with digital transformation. You can find new episodes every Wednesday by going to transformationgroundcontrol.com. Wherever you prefer to listen or watch, you can find those formats all at transformationgroundcontrol.com. So be sure to check it out there. Um, We've got a great show planned for you today. I'm excited for uh, some first-time guests. We've got a couple first-time guests on the show here today. Uh, but before we get to those guests, we're going to open up the segment with some audience questions. We're going to take those questions and answer those uh, recent questions we've received on social media. And then we're also going to get into a couple of hot topics and trending topics in the digital transformation space. We'll talk about what's next for digital transformation in Europe. And then we'll also talk about, is digital transformation a redundant concept? So uh, stick around for that. That'll be in the opening segment. And then later in the show, we'll have executive leadership roles and responsibilities that we're going to talk through with Julie Williamson, who's a first-time guest on the show. And she's a managing partner at a company called Kerrigan's Group, which does a lot of leadership alignment type of stuff. And I'll let her describe what that stuff is in more detail when she comes on the show. But we'll have Julie on later to talk about executive leadership roles and responsibilities and what executive teams should expect and how they should lead change and how you can manage up to help executives understand what their role should be. So that'll be a great conversation we'll have later today. And then last but not least, Kyler is going to have a discussion with uh, Jeff Nelson from the Third Stage Consulting Group team, who's going to be on talking about digital transformation in distribution and field services. So we're excited to have Jeff on the show later as well. So all that being said, uh, let's jump into some of the, the questions you've got for us for from your questions jar from the from the audience here, Kyler. Absolutely. Well, the question jar, just in full transparency, will not make an appearance today because we have some longer questions. So I have them here and pulled up from um, our audience, which had some great questions this week. If you don't know about our Q&A session here on Ground Control, you can um, tag Eric or myself on any of our platforms, both Eric's channel and our third stage consulting brand channels. Um, we have anything from LinkedIn to TikTok to YouTube. Uh, so if you tag one of us or ask a question, our team goes in there and compiles those for our ground control user questions episode. So um, let's get into it. So this is a, a great question um, from one of your YouTube videos that talks about the truth about SAP S4 HANA implementations. And this user says, Always easy to point out the problems in the industry, but in my experience, the problems are not always external um, to the customer. I'm interested to hear about how you deal with problems that are outside your control as a business. Yeah, that's a great 
great point and question. I mean, I think first of all, the the person makes a really good point, a valid point that anytime there's a digital transformation challenge or failure or a series of challenges and failures, it, it is easy to point fingers because there's so much blame to go around. It, it oftentimes is something to do with the uh, vendors and what they're contributing to the, to the challenges, the uh, outside system integrators and implementers oftentimes have a role in that. And of course you as an organization or, or the implementing organization oftentimes will have um, things that they're doing to contribute to the failure as well. So I think the key is really not to think of it as assigning blame or pointing fingers necessarily, but to really understand that there's a lot of stuff that goes wrong in these sorts of projects. And it's important to understand what the root cause is and, and to really you know, address and attack those accordingly. And, and recognizing that you have multiple parties involved in, in making a project successful or uh, troubled. And so you've, you've really got to get that alignment and, and that common uh, set of goals uh, in, in the way you execute it as well. And what happens to this question if some um, considerations are outside of your circle of influence, such as socioeconomic, such as supply chain issues, those types of different things that you might not be able to control? How do you navigate that as uh, someone that's going through a digital transformation project? Great question and great point in that, um, you know, first I'd say you don't, you, you don't manage the project the same way it, when you have those different uh, challenges. So, so in other words, you want to adjust your overall strategy and plan and roadmap to accommodate or to account for the fact that you have those issues. Um, so a good example would be in today's economy, the way the economy is for a lot of the world right now, there's labor shortages in terms of not having enough staff to be able to support a digital transformation internally. And so <clears throat> you have one of two options. You can say, okay, well, the, the vendor has proposed the super aggressive implementation timeframe that might be appropriate if we had a full staff of people on the bench that can support the project, but we don't. So what are we going to do? Are we going to just pretend that we could still do it anyway with less people? Or do we say, let's right size that plan and that strategy to account for the fact that we have limited staff? And that's okay. You don't have to go at a breakneck speed. You can slow down the project and go at a pace that makes more sense. And so I think it's just making sure that your strategy and your plan is aligned with the realities of whatever you're dealing with. In this case, in this example, it's it's labor shortages, but there's a million other examples I could give you, but you just need to accommodate and make sure you adjust the plan to accommodate for those things. Absolutely. Um, that that agile mentality and meaning flexibility in your project is, is absolutely paramount and, and many different reasons. Um, so one other question that talked about um, life after ERP systems in some of your short videos, and they said, um, we have to keep in mind that sometimes best of breed might also pre present bigger um, cybersecurity threats due to too many systems and potential leaks. How do you ensure in the evaluation stage of your project that you've addressed these potential risks? Yeah, that's a great uh, comment. I actually saw that one come through recently, just a few days ago. And, um, and I thought it was a great point. So I'm glad you bring it up here. Um, you know, it is a, it is a consideration. And I don't think in that video that the person commented on, I don't think I've mentioned this point. So it's, I'm, I'm glad it's coming up because when you have this best of breed environment, even if it's a better functional fit and it's giving you more of what you need from a business process and workflow perspective, which is really important. Don't get me wrong, but but even when you do have that, what ends up happening is now you've exposed more, there's more opportunities now and more potential vulner vulnerabilities for potential cyber attacks and not just outside 
cyber attacks, but you think about something like, um, let's just say I'm implementing, a, an e let's assume I've implemented an ERP system and you're in the finance group, Kyler, and I've really locked down your access so that you, you don't have the opportunity to create a vendor and pay a vendor. Uh, because theoretically, if I let you have access to both, you could have employees that create a, a vendor called Kyler Cheatham, and I'm going to pay Kyler Cheatham a million dollars. And uh, I'm going to do that all myself. And, and Sounds great. <laughs> sounds like a great idea. Oh, yeah. Um, and we've actually seen companies where that's happened. We've had clients in the past where that has happened. Um, so let's just say you, you tighten that down in your ERP system, but then you implement some other sort of finance system where you have access to different types of data and different um, abilities and security profiles in that third-party system or that bolt-on to the core ERP system. Now suddenly I've created a vulnerability not just for an outside hacker to potentially attack, but also internal employees too. So you, you really have to look at how security is set up for your employees across multiple systems if you have a best of breed environment, but also you have to make sure that you've tightened up the cybersecurity and recognize that each system you bolt on or add to your mix is another point of potential attack for a cybersecurity um, a hacker or whatever. So you just need to make sure that you've you treat each of those systems equally in terms of how you address security issues and you don't just focus on your core system because now you've got these bolt-ons that could create problems as well. Sure. And oftentimes engaging that that independent third party that has been through that before or that has experience in that, that only kind of has your, your business goals and minds can be really helpful. I know I even asked our team that does that professionally on a day-to-day -day basis when we had to add an application for us to administer our recent digital stratosphere event in a virtual environment. We need to add an application that gave certain users admin pri privileges that we really had to think through, does this make sense and is this going to be confusing? Um, and actually had to ask the vendor, can you please peel back these admin privileges because we don't want to spread that out. And it wasn't because there was any you know nefarious actors in there, but to your point, it was an opportunity for us to create openings in our cybersecurity strategy that we didn't want to do because we take that that very seriously and some of our team you know that has experience with that can come in and and kind of help guide you through that because you don't know what you don't know right yeah that is something that's really important and it's worth thinking through and i think the first step is really just to understand and recognize that that it's a risk that needs to be addressed and then from there you, you can sort of treat or or address how you want to handle cybersecurity in each of those different systems that you might be deploying but that's a great example of kind of a real life recent example that we've experienced amongst our own team yeah, absolutely. Um, and one comment I want to share here, which I always, you know, love to hear this. It it talks about I was like, yes, I need to read this book, and then I looked at my Kindle, and it turns out I already bought the book a month ago, and I haven't had time to get to it yet. LOL, it's a sign. So just a you know a reminder that Eric did just release a a new book last month. If you haven't read it yet, it's called The Final Countdown, and you can get it on our website or thefinalcountdown.com, um, as well as searching The Final Countdown on um, Amazon. So congrats on those those kudos, and we hope you enjoyed the book. And, and hopefully you enjoy the book. I'll be curious to hear the feedback from it. I know I, it's always fun to hear, especially when we see users post about it, because um, we have, you know, we get to be able to grow that conversation and grow our overall missions. So my last question I'm going to go into here that is kind of system specific, um, and I'm going to broaden it and revise it just a little bit. But basically, this is on your case study of the U.S. Air Force transformation failure. But if you haven't um, seen that one, I would definitely head over to Eric's YouTube channel as it's one of you know our top performing, most popular videos. 
But specifically, this question talks about needing an aerospace and defense system. And it says how difficult it is when you're in a niche industry to find a system that meets all your needs without customization. How do you recommend balancing customize for a niche industry with making sure that we're still able to maintain the system in an independent way? Great question. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned our, our Stratosphere event um, a moment ago, and it just triggered a thought that one of our speakers, uh, Walker Reynolds, who's also been on this podcast in the past, um, talked about how Tesla is, uh, you know, obviously the the electric car company, the, the highly successful electric car company has created their own uh, ERP system and a custom developed system, that sort of thing, uh, recognizing that technology is a competitive advantage for them. And the reason I bring them up is because it's not just government entities or a military entity like the case of, of the U.S. Army. Um but a lot of organizations have competitive nuances or things that are unique to them. And I, I know the industry loves to say things like you're not that special. Um, you just refuse to change if you don't adapt off the shelf software. That's that's OK. If you if you have differences and things that um, that can't be captured in an off the shelf software, that's OK. And in fact, I would argue that's the way it should be. You should have competitive advantages and strengths that can't be replicated at scale. Because if it could be, then you'd have competitors that were doing the same thing and you wouldn't have a competitive advantage. So you're going to have competitive advantages or things that make you unique, uh, or if you're in the public sector, especially, you're going to have things that are very unique to you. And so I think there's a couple things you can do. One is you can look at those business processes and start with those business processes that are common, that are more vanilla, that are used across industries and are more likely to be good candidates for standard off-the-shelf software without customization. You could start there. You can also look at uh, platforms, you know, maybe there's software platforms you deploy that are somewhat standardized and common, but they give you flexibility to be able to tailor the solution. Um, you could also look for, because we're talking about the public sector, you could also look for systems that are tailored for your industry. And what I mean by that is, is uh, software vendors, third-party uh, ISVs or, or software providers that take a platform like say Microsoft Dynamics and there's a company called Tyler Technologies that takes Microsoft Dynamics and they've created a government and public sector specific version of Microsoft Dynamics. And so you're getting sort of the best of both worlds where you've got the Microsoft platform, but it's been tailored for the government space. So there's all these different ways that you can navigate that uh, dynamic. And then what ultimately what ends up happening is you end up with a small subset of processes that can't be automated with one of those options I just described potentially. And so what you do there is that's where you limit your customization or that's where you go find a third-party bolt-on solution or a best-of-breed solution to really hone in on that one specific area or that small subset of, of processes. So it's a, it's a methodical approach you can take to really leverage off-the-shelf software and common um, non-customized solutions um, wherever you can. But then once you've done that and you've knocked those areas out, then you start to look at how can we attack some of those more um, unique areas of our business as well. Absolutely. And it, it sounds like really the key there is going to be the evaluation and phase zero planning to really understand your needs in order to be able to go to a vendor and have that conversation. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Having that clear awareness of where you are today and what you want in the future is, is critical to that evaluation. And the infrastructure of 
Tyler specifically is something I learned at Stratosphere. I didn't know that. Um, so it's, it was definitely an opportunity to kind of talk through some of those those things as well, even though I, I am going to perdition that they changed the name to Kyler so we can <laughs> right. you know, get a trade work around that. But, um, but all, all good things. If you do have additional questions for Eric, please feel free to pop them on our social media channels um, in order to address them here. If you tag us directly, we'll be sure to get them on um, an upcoming episode. And thank you so much for all of the user engagement in the comments. Um, these are your questions too. And that's the point here is to create conversation around what that looks like. Uh, but I know, Eric, we have some hot topics that I'm excited to get to as well um, in this opening segment. Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've got a couple hot topics we'll get to right after a quick break here. We're going to talk about what's next for digital transformation in Europe, and then we'll talk about whether or not digital transformation is a redundant concept. Um, I feel like that might be a hypothetical loaded question, but we'll see what the answer is here when we, when we come back from, from a break. And then stick around because later in the show, after we get through these hot topics, we're going to have Julie Williamson on the show from Carrican's group, and she's going to be with me chatting about executive leadership roles and responsibilities in digital transformation. So we'll dive into things related to how to get alignment and buy-in and all that good stuff from executives, all that all that critical stuff um, that's so important to digital transformations. And then later in the show, we'll have Jeff Nelson from the third stage consulting team on the show to talk about digital transformation in distribution and field services. So stick around for that. So we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be back with more transformation ground control. We'll be right back. I'm excited to share our newly released 2024 Digital Enterprise Operations Report. This free download is available on the Third Stage website at thirdstage-consulting.com. This report is truly packed full of technology independent and agnostic insights for your project to ensure that you're strategically optimized for success. Download your copy today with the QR code in front of me or visit our website for more details. So Kyler, we've got a couple of hot topics here that uh, we want to get to. What have you got in store for us? Absolutely. Um, well, first I want to go into kind of this concept of is digital transformation redundant? And in the industry, we like to kind of shame the word digital transformation because it can be, you know, kind of a non-focused area and it can mean something different for each organization. So this is a little bit of clickbait, this article, but I think it makes some good points that I kind of want to dig into. Um, so it talks about, you know, digital transformation has really become kind of this ambiguous term that kind of encompasses all sizes of organizations, all segments of industries that are really striving to embrace technology and, and remain competitive, as we kind of mentioned in our Q&A. Um, so they go through kind of different buckets of why this should be just an, a baseline business strategy. And there's one that I really kind of want to dig into with you. So they talked about the constant evolution of technology integration, as we mentioned, um, is kind of a norm. The holistic business transformation, which is a lot of times why we don't use the term digital transformation, but we use business transformation. Um, and then I wanted to talk a little bit about their category called digital as a business enabler, not a goal. So they really talk about that digital transformation often places an in, 
an emphasis on really the technology itself rather than the purpose. And the goal of any business is not merely to become digital, right, but to leverage digital tools to enhance efficiencies or improve customer experience, drive innovation, whatever your goals are. But overemphasizing the digital aspect is a distraction from strategic goals that technology should enable but not be an over umbrella term. So I thought I would get your reaction to that of is really the the word digital a distraction when we talk about digital strategy and we should be talking about more of technology as an enabler as opposed to a strategic approach. Yeah, I I uh, I really like that. I hadn't heard that uh I hadn't heard it framed that way before, but it makes total sense and I agree. It's it's sort of like mm-hmm. you know, digital transformation and, and digital utopia is not the goal, the you know, the goal is to be successful in business and use technology and figure out how you can get there. And I think when we think about it in that context, we're more likely to become less enamored by technology and more focused on how can we selectively and strategically use technology to help improve our business. So I, I, I love it. I think it's a great concept and great way to look at it. Yeah, technology is really the tool. It's just one of the tools in the toolbox to fix the overall, you know, issue or objective um, strategically. So I like, I like that too. And I'm always a sucker for clickbait. So I always do read those articles. So still send them to me. Um, But I feel like when we take out a piece of that really gives us an actional strategic approach of talking about how technology is really the spine of the business, but the strategy is still the brain, right? So let's move on to our other hot topic today, which is really actually a very interesting one. Um, it's called What's Next for Digital Transformation in um, in Europe? And so one, a third party did an annual study um, of digital transformation, and they interviewed 500 C-level executives and their direct reports across the buy and sell side from 18 different countries in the European market. So the, the respondents... Um, on average, controlled an estimated asset portfolio of um, $121 More than half of that agreed that it's digital focused. So uh, definitely kind of some bigger institutions in the European market. So there's there's a few things in here that I I really want to share and kind of dig into. And so they talk about um, the biggest investment in technology from European firms in the next two years shows to be cybersecurity, with respondents saying they plan to increase spending by 29% by 2025. Um, They also talk about um, spending on data analysis and visualization tools is planned to increase by 26% in the next two years, kind of the same time frame. The one... um, One question I wanted to ask you, which is a hard question, just to set the stage, Eric, Um, the biggest challenge cited by these European firms that were that participated in the study is insufficient budget for innovation, particularly against today's economic backdrop. Firms are really feeling hesitant to invest money into these big new projects. So that's the number one. And number two is the challenge of resistance to change or gaining buy-in. So I thought I'd give you those two challenges to kind of unpack or react to and kind of give some um, scenarios or some insight as to how you might address those. Yeah. Um, interesting question. That's a good question. Um, 
I think in in the first part, as far as the resistance to investing money in innovation and and these sorts of projects in general, I think we have to look at the track record. I mean, the track record is not good uh, with digital transformations, and you know, failure rates anywhere from seventy to eighty six percent. I think is the the highest metric I've seen in recent years. Um, but regardless of what number you believe or what study you you cite. Um, the fact of the matter is that most data will point you to the fact that a majority of digital transformations fail. So until that problem gets fixed, I don't see how European or any other uh, regions of the world are going to be uh, comfortable with digital transformations and willing to open the pocketbook. I think it's actually healthy that there is some resistance to investing in innovation for that reason, because I think it forces organizations to rethink um, what it is they're trying to do and maybe focus and prioritize on the things that are going to add the most value and, the, and perhaps be lower risk projects. Um, so that's, that's one. The other thing with resistance to change, um, that's probably something that's not going to go away. I don't, I think that resistance to change dynamic is actually going to accelerate over time as technology continues to change at a breakneck speed and at an accelerated pace or accelerating pace. I think, while technology continues to change faster than humans uh, can or will change anytime soon, that's going to create that tension and that resistance to change more and more over time. So that part's not going to go away, but I think you can hedge on that risk by having effective change management and by uh, really attacking that problem, maybe diverting some of your technological spend into organizational resistance to change sorts of spend. Um, and so that that's something we can dive into with Julie as well when she's on the show in a moment when we talk about executive leadership and alignment. That certainly is a key part of um, resistance to change too, and overcoming that resistance too. Absolutely. And so, do you feel like an an incremental approach might be something that when you're worried about a spend or you're worried about resistance in the organization to consider when looking at a bigger digital transformation project on this size of an organization? I do. I mean, I think it's, um, you know, I can't help but think about a, a an analogy of of my personal situation in life where we're at right now. We're, we're in the process of undergoing a bunch of renovations in our house. And rather than moving out of the house and not living there for several months or a year or more and renovating the entire thing all at once, we chose to take more of an incremental approach to have, you know, smaller projects happening that were somewhat disruptive, but we can still live in the house. And I think that's the way you have to look at at an organization too, is do you want to completely shut down your operations, put your operations at risk, not be able to really perform as an organization because you're going through this big, massive, disruptive digital transformation? Or do you want to take more of an incremental approach where you're hedging your risk, you're, you're easing into the changes rather than disrupting the business too much? And of course, you have to look at your industry and, you know, how, how, uh, how dire is the situation for you as an organization? If you're in survival mode and you don't know if you're going to make it because you're so far behind technologically, you might be more inclined to take more of a big bang, a big bang or a big um, disruptive, massive type of project. But if you're a company that's highly successful and you're, you're trying to just incrementally improve your technology and your processes to stay ahead of the curve or to keep up the competition or whatever, it might behoove you to to take more of a risk based approach or risk management based approach where you do more of that incremental approach. So I think you have to um, you have to look at your current situation, and of course, it depends. I was just about to say. So it sounds like you're saying it depends. <laughs> but what I'm really trying to say is it depends. That's the short yeah, answer. Yeah, <laughs> it depends. 
it depends. But knowing your identity is really going to be the key there, knowing your capabilities. And I know that really all starts with the executive team, which is why I kind of wanted to queue up some of these for your conversation with Julie. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Great, great point. And, uh, you know, a great segue into the conversation with Julie. Julie is going to be on the show here in just a moment to talk about executive leadership roles and responsibilities during digital transformation. So we really want to unpack, you know, what should executives and leaders be doing to better support digital transformations? And if you're not an executive or leader, how can you engage or, or manage up to ensure that your executives and leadership team are aware of what their roles can and should be? So I'm excited to have Julie on the show. We're going to talk about that uh, with her here in just a moment. And then later in the show, stay tuned because after Julie is on, we'll then have Jeff Nelson on, who's a team member at the third stage consulting team. He's going to be on with you, Kyler, to talk about uh, digital transformation and distribution and field services. So we're excited for that conversation as well. So we're, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 142. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. And at that website, transformationgroundcontrol.com, you can uh, subscribe to the podcast. You can listen to it. You can watch it, uh, different formats. So be sure to check it out. Um, new episodes every Wednesday um, as well. So so thank you for listening here today. So I'm excited for our first guest. Our, our first guest is also a first-time guest. First guest of today's episode is a first-time guest of ever being on this on this podcast. Uh, Julie Williamson, who is a managing partner at a company called Kerrigan's Group, and I'll let her explain her background, and I'll let her explain what Kerrigan's Group does here in just a moment. But the topic we want to cover here today is executive leadership roles and responsibilities in digital transformations. We want to really dig into what it is executives can and should be doing to best support and ensure success for a digital transformation. And of course, as, as I think we all know, um, you can have the best run project management and overall digital transformation project, but if you don't have that executive buy-in and support, it's going to create a lot of other problems that are going to derail uh, the best intended project. So we want to dive into what it means to have executive leadership uh, support and buy-in and alignment and all that stuff. We want to understand that concept a little bit more because we do talk about it a lot in this industry, but we don't dive into what it really means. So that's what we're going to do here today. So with all that being said, Julie, welcome to the show. Yeah. First time guest, long time listener. Isn't that what I'm supposed to say? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being a guest and a listener. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've known you for a long time, Julie, but the audience may not know you. So maybe tell us a little bit about you personally, as well as uh, Kerrigan's group and what you guys do. 
Yeah, thanks, Eric. And thank you so much for having us here. Um, as a managing partner at Carrickens Group, my business partner, Bruce Siegel, and I have the incredible privilege of leading a small and mighty team of people who are really focused on bringing together an intersection of technology, business consulting experience, business acumen, and social science to help drive behavior change in organizations. And at, at the heart of what we do, it's really trying to understand how we can activate change in organizations as they go through transformation, as they seek to grow, as they look to have a bigger impact in their communities and with their customers. So that's the, the heart of what Carrickens Group does. And for me, I bring um, my background into that. As you know, I spent most of the 90s doing big tech implementations. So I come from that world. And then a lot of the early 2000s doing strategy work and then kind of folded in the social science piece of it in the last 10 to 15 years as we've really leaned into this idea of behavior change. So I'm excited to be here to talk to you about leader activation. It's a topic that is near and dear to my heart. And as you know, it gets me really excited. So here we go. <laughs> and that's why I thought it'd be great to have you yeah. here is because what, what yeah. better person to have on this topic than you. Um, yeah. One other thing about your background too, that you didn't mention that I, I didn't uh, refer to you as Dr. Williamson, but you, you also have a PhD. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe your academic studies and focus over the years? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny, you know, I don't know about you, but when I went to college, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And, you know, my parents were like, well, you might want to be able to get a job when you're done. So I went into information systems and tech and, you know, got all of that under underway. And it did help me to get a job um, coming out of school. And then I went back and I got my MBA and I got a concentration in finance. So I kind of had that piece of it. And then I went, you know, off into the world of consulting and I spent about 10 years working with companies in both tech and in strategy. And I kept seeing the same thing happening over and over again. I would see these really great strategies that totally made sense. I would see, you know, these big systems that were definitely going to help and we would try and implement them. And then it would just kind of stumble. Like it just never got the traction. And it, it was clearly an organizational problem, not a technology problem and not a business problem, right? Like the numbers all added up. The tech worked, but, but they're like the people were broken. Right? Right. <laughs> it's kind of like where I was as a young consultant, right? I was like, what is wrong here? And so for me, um, just the way that I'm wired, I was like, I'm missing something. And so I went back to school and I went into a social science discipline and I got my PhD in organizational communication. And that opened up a whole new field of understanding for me and a new way of looking at organizations and how they work and understanding more theoretically how we collectively create meaning and create understanding, shared understanding of what we need to do and how we're going to do it together. And so I try to infuse all of the work that we do at Carrickens Group with that lens of how do people actually work together to achieve common goals. And that for me has been so rewarding and such a great um, addition for, to me, for me in terms of the work that I do and being able to bring that lens into to how do we help organizations really move the needle on growth and transformation? Yeah. Yeah. That's super fascinating. And I've always been fascinated by that dynamic as well. That dynamic of the tech works, but it doesn't work. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it, it's yeah. working technically, but it's not working for the organization or for the people. And so yeah. that's really what, what we want to dive into here today. Yeah. Um, so when we talk about change management though, you know, this, all the stuff you just mentioned and all the, the mm -hmm. curiosity that you were diving into as part of your PhD and throughout your work experience as well, it, it all sort of starts with, or should start with executive alignment. You know, when you think about change management, um, 
the, one yeah. of the first things, if not the first thing you need is that, that executive buy-in and, and support. So let's start there with the real basics and the fundamentals of executive buy-in and support. What, what does that mean to you and why is it important to a digital transformation? Yeah, look, we see a huge difference between agreement and alignment. And as executives often agree, yes, we need to transform. And they even sign up to pay millions of dollars for it, right? Like that's cool, but they're not actually personally aligned to what's it going to take to transform this organization. And a lot of times I see people who are trying to really struggling with implementation or with change. And they'll say, well, of course the executives are on board because you know they're paying for it. And to that, I just say, um, look at the data around gym memberships, right? Like conservatively, 60 to 70% of gym memberships never get used. Hmm. So on an individual level, a lot of us are out there paying 50, 60, 70, maybe $100 a month for something that we never use, right? Hmm. Like it's, it's something that people do. We agree that things are a good idea. It's a good idea to have a gym membership, but we're not going to go out and use it. <laughs> So I don't right. know about you, but I've I've done that sometimes, right? Yeah. There's plenty of things that we pay for that we're not actually aligned to doing. And so when you scale that to an executive level decision to engage in transformation, yes, they can outwardly be showing all of the signs of um, being engaged and being supportive. But the question that I try to think about is, have they actually shown that they are aligned to changing themselves in order to lead differently in the transformed organization. And I think that to me is the signal that this is going to go well and we're going to be able to drive this full throttle forward. Right. What are some of the, like, what's an example of how you commonly see executives need to change themselves? Like what's it, what, what would a good example or common example be of that? Yeah. I, you know, an easy example might be um, with a, ERP type of implementation, sometimes it's the way that they're looking at the metrics for the business, because in their old system, they might have even simple things like the types of reports that they get, or um, the way that data is organized and structured for them, right? So I have literally seen executives try and like force the data into the old reporting format, because that's where they're more comfortable. And they don't feel like changing how they look at the business data because that takes time and effort and energy and they're deeply habituated to how they've been looking at the data in the old system. Hmm. And so they just want to keep going back to that and until they really lean in and say, okay, I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to look at the data, look at the business data that's being generated by the ERP system in a different way. And they take on responsibility for going through that change themselves. It's very difficult to get traction um, in the implementation. So that's just a simple, example. Right. There's plenty of, plenty of others that I think people have probably seen. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to hear from the yeah. audience. You know, if you've seen examples yeah. of executives yeah. that either needed to change their behavior or they should be changing their behavior, but they're not. I'd um, yeah. love to hear comments from the, the audience, especially if you're not an executive or you're not a leader, but you, you're dealing with, with uh, some issues at that level. That'd be interesting to hear as well. Um, yeah. The, the, the audience is coming in hot with some questions already. So I want to get to, to one here from Kyler on LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, Kyler says, how do you ensure alignment and not just agreement? I think you sort of alluded to it a second ago, mm -hmm. but maybe that we dive into that a little bit more. What's the difference and how do you ensure that you get alignment, not just agreement? Right. Yeah. Um, in the first place, I will just say that, especially if you're trying to manage up, right? Like if you are in a situation where your leadership team, you feel like they agree, but they have not aligned themselves. Um, it does require 
a different toolkit than what people use for change management. So change management toolkits are amazing for getting users, especially people who have to have their hands on the keyboard and using different systems to do things differently. We've got great tools and resources for communication, for training, um, for gamification, for you know all of these different ways to get people engaged and excited. But that's usually not what the senior leadership team needs to really move into alignment around the change. What you need um, to, to drive alignment is a couple of things. One is to recognize that it's not one and done. You have to keep coming back to the leaders and make sure that they are changing their behaviors. And they're, we call it starting with self, that they're willing to start with self and to say, I need to change how I lead in order for the transformation to be successful. And until leaders are visibly taking ownership and starting with self and changing how they lead, they're not in alignment. They're just agreeing that other people should change. And, you know, we see this all the time. Eric, you and I were talking about it a couple of days ago, right? People are like, I'm happy for all of my people to change and to use this new system. But I'm not planning to change myself, right? right. People love to change other people. They don't really love to change themselves. Good for you. <laughs> no, it's not good for me, though. <laughs> exactly, right? So it's it's really easy for executives or senior leaders to stay in that space of agreement. I agree that everyone else should change. Um, where you really see them moving into alignment is when they start to use the language of, and I'm changing too. And really holding them accountable to the changes that they need to make, which usually, by the way, do not involve learning the new system, right? Like they don't usually need to learn how to, you know, actually use the system themselves because they might not be at that place, but they're at a place where they learn, they use what comes out of the system, but really helping them to get articulate and clear about how they need to lead differently is one step towards getting them into alignment around the transformation. Right. Right. Yeah. Now, what about, um, what about leadership during a transformation in a, in a, I think we're sort of dancing around this topic too, but, but I think it's worth going into is you've got the behavioral changes that need to happen that you mentioned, mm -hmm. which is very important. You've got the, the alignment and, and the, the ongoing alignment that you need to have with, with the executive team. But what about during the transformation itself? How, how do, how are executives leadership styles typically challenged and how do they need to rethink how they lead in general when they're going through a big digital or business transformation of any sort? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Eric. And I think it plays to one of the comments, which is that in the adoption of a new system, IT leaders are always criticized by users. Like, and I yeah. think that's kind of what you see, right, is um, this like users are like, man, I'm having to work, do all the old stuff and do all the new stuff and go to this training. And I'm supposed to, you know, participate in this focus group and like, I think one of the things that leaders have to be really attentive to during times of transformation is how realistic are they being about the workload that's happening at a user level, right? At the people who are actually being um, going through the adoption process of the new system. Those people are learning a new technical skill, like they're learning how to do things differently. And leaders at that point are going to have to figure out how to lead differently by understanding what are the expectations that they're holding users to during that time of transformation. And Eric, I'm sure you see this all the time as an implementer, right? There's like this insanity around users should be able to continue to perform at the same levels that they've always performed and also learn a whole new system and convert everything into the new system, right? Like, and, and, and. Mm -hmm. And so when 
I think where you, you, leaders get criticized is because users are like, these people have no idea what they're asking us to do. Right. And so getting really gritty about what are we actually asking people to do and how do we manage that workload in a different way is part of signaling a level of alignment rather than just theoretical agreement that this is a good idea and the end state sounds lovely. Right. right? Alignment is how do we walk that path? Yeah. We're here with Julie Williamson talking about executive leadership roles and responsibilities during digital transformation. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to get back into the conversation in just a moment, but first we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 142. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. Be sure to check it out there. That's the link or the website you can go to to subscribe to the show, as well as to see the live streams of the video uh, broadcast every Wednesday. So again, transformationgroundcontrol.com is where you can find that. And we're here in the midst of a conversation with Julie Williamson talking about executive leadership roles and responsibilities during digital transformation. Let's jump back into the conversation. An example that we commonly see nowadays, more so now than you would have seen maybe five or 10 years ago is you think about AI as an example. You know, you, you get artificial intelligence or machine learning or some sort of uh, emerging technology that's really a game changer for how businesses can operate in the future. And it sounds good in theory when you say, okay, we're gonna automate 50% of Julie's job. Now AI or, or machine learning is gonna, gonna, or RPA, whatever it is, whatever the tech is, it's gonna automate her job. And it's going to be great. She's going to have so much more time on her hands to do other stuff. And we're going to be so much more efficient and effective, all this great stuff. But then you think, well, wait a minute, what's Julie going to do with the other 50% of her job? And someone has to decide that. We can't just put in new tech and assume that you're going to magically be more efficient, and effective, and everything's going to be great. Now we've got to figure out what to do with Julie's job. And that's where, in my opinion, where a lot of executives drop the ball is they don't create that clarity of Julie's going to do this, and this is what her focus is going to be, and how her job design is going to change to support the organization going forward. Is that something you you see as well, or that you've run into throughout your career? Yeah, I think that's such a great point, right? This idea of what happens next, right? And often we're encouraging executives to be um, very visible about the reality that sometimes action precedes clarity. Sometimes we have to get going, and what then it will become clear what comes next, right? But if executives aren't engaged in that conversation on a regular basis and helping to see what comes next for those users and what happens with that other 50% of the time, and how do we make that um, effective and, and interesting and engaging for people, then people lose faith in the executive team. And they'll say, well, they're just totally disconnected. They have no idea what's going on, right? 
And the other thing is that 50% that theoretically you're supposed to be able to gain, that gets filled up really, really quickly, right? And often executives don't even know what it's getting filled up with. And so that's, a, that's an area where I think leaders can continue to demonstrate visible engagement in the transformation by talking with people and having those conversations about what's filling up your time, like what else is coming into the pipeline that we didn't expect or that we didn't even know about? Or is it simply that you're doing more of the of maintenance work that we didn't anticipate with the automation of the system, right? Like all of these different questions. But when leaders aren't curious and they're not leaning into trying to understand that as it becomes clear, then they get very quickly disconnected. And that's when users get really frustrated. And they're like, you know, like nobody really understands what's actually happening. Have you, I mean, how many times have you heard that from a user, right? Leaders don't know what's actually happening. Right. And that's because they've become disconnected because again, they're in agreement. They think it's a great idea, but they're not walking the walk with their users. Right. Right. Great point. And then, you know, another thing or another dynamic that's common in transformations or any sort of um, time of change, whether it's a digital transformation or, or business transformation um, is that, you know, teams can get demoralized. They can suffer from change fatigue. They can just get tired. You know, you lose morale and, and you get exhausted as a team sometimes mm-hmm. when you're changing a lot or going through significant changes. What are some of the ways that you've seen executives, or, or let me rephrase the question, what are some of the strategies that you think executives should be employing more to keep their teams energized yeah. and to, to help navigate that whole change fatigue dynamic that we often see? Yeah. Such a great question. I think one of the places where I see that fatigue happening and especially in the frustration kind of starting to bubble over. And I think there was one comment in here. Let me just see if I can find it real quick. Yeah. I think executives have so much going on. They forget they approved the the thing, right? Whatever it is that we're doing. I think right. that's such a great comment because what that does, and you know, Eric, we've talked about this, is it puts people on this crazy roller coaster of a cycle from a user perspective, right? The people that are deep in the organization that are basically um, coming in every day and dealing with the effort of transformation. And then there's a leadership team that gets all excited about it. And then their attention wanes and they go off and do other things. And then all of a sudden they get all excited about it again. And they're asking questions like, well, why aren't we further along? And how come this hasn't happened? And what's what's wrong with that? And why is this still broken? And the people who are you know in the trenches are like, dude, we've been doing this. You know, We're working our butts off every single day. Where have you been? Right. Right. And that is often, it's that whiplash effect that often creates that just utter fatigue for people. They're like, I can't go on this roller coaster ride one more time with these executives because just because it's suddenly important to them doesn't mean it hasn't been important to us for the last six months. Right. Right. And so like that spike in energy and attention and focus takes people on this crazy um, roller coaster ride that they don't, and they're just like, what do you mean? You know, you don't understand why this is still not working. Like we've been working so hard on it. So I think for executives or leaders who are involved in transformation, being really attentive to how they're energetically engaging and trying to keep that consistent rather than spiky Mm. It goes a long way for the people in their organizations to say, okay, you know, um, 
it might kind of like ramp up periodically, like as and you, as a leader, you can say, hey, we're coming into a board meeting next month. I'm going to need to say something like let's let's get our act together. Right. But if you've been consistently involved at a medium level of energy, let's call it right, then people can manage that little spike. But if you're like high level and then you crater and you're off doing other more important things and then you kind of like come back into it that's when people kind of lose their minds, right? They're like, this is, this feels terrible. And so for leaders, I would love to see them be more consistent in how they show up and how they're energetically engaged and asking contextually appropriate questions, asking things that indicate that they know what's going on and they appreciate the effort that's happening. Like how do they personally stay engaged in that? And that's not sponsorship, right? That's not um, funding. That's not like signing off on the, invoice. That's not sending people to training. That's being personally committed and engaged energetically to the work that's happening in the organization. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great point. Yeah. Really well said the way you just said that, because, you know, so often, and I know you've seen this too, where you're in a project and you're dealing with an executive team and they give the green light to do a project. They sign the checks. They do, maybe they do an all employee email that they send out saying how important this project is. Maybe they do it in all hands meeting to the whole company. And then they sort of fall off the face of the earth. You don't see them again or hear from them again until, you know, there's a board meeting or some major milestone. And I think to your point, there's a lot of like incremental, less glamorous ways that you have to be, you know, executives need to be rolling up their sleeves and actively involved in the change and defining what you want to be when you grow up and defining what this organization is going to look like going forward. And too often they just view it as sort of like a, you know, the way they treated Windows 98 upgrades back in the late 90s. It's like, yeah, we're just going to we're just going to upgrade to Windows 98. No big deal. This yeah. isn't a Windows 98 upgrade. This is a massive change to your business. And someone has to define what that is and what that looks like. In it. And that someone needs to be the executives. Is that what are your what are your yep. thoughts there? Yeah, I think that's exactly spot on. And, and it is not work that you can outsource to other people. Right. You have to do it yourself to go back to the gym metaphor. You can't have, you know, pay for a trainer and then not show up for your trainer appointments and expect the trainer to do, you know, the push ups for you. Right. Like you right. actually have to show up and do them yourself. And it's a really it's an old metaphor, but it's an appropriate one, which is that for leaders to activate transformation, they have to show up for the transformation. And that means they have to carve time out of their very busy days so that they are doing um actively engaged and visible in the transformation efforts that are happening in their organization. And it, I'll go back to the point that they have to figure out how they need to lead differently. And when we think about that, it's not just individual leaders, but also the leadership team. So we look at the mindsets, the group dynamics, as well as the organizational factors that are driving leader behaviors. And how do you make those visible? And how do you figure out which ones need to change? Right. And I think that for us is where the um, real richness is, is when we start to get leaders to identify the specific mindsets that they bring to their leadership that might need to be different in a transformed organization, the group dynamics that they have across the leadership team about who always makes their numbers, who wins, um, what is good look like for leaders, like all of these things we start to really get to the heart of how do you help leaders to activate the transformation? Right. Right. Yeah. Now, what about when there's turnover in the middle of a project? Um, and this is from Kyler on LinkedIn. And she says, we see a lot yeah. of executive turnover in the middle of a project, which by the way, I'll just interject a comment here. 
I think this dynamic is increasing and accelerating. I think there's more turmoil in organizations in general, but then introducing fast pacing or, or fast changing and disruptive technologies is creating disruption to organizations, which oftentimes leads to more executive turnover. So we see a lot of executive turnover in the middle of the project, which can completely derail a project. What should you do if you garnered alignment, but have a leadership change, which is a very common dynamic. What, what have you seen there? Yeah. Yeah, that's such a great question, Kyler. So thank you for that. It is true. There's a lot of turnover at the executive level in all areas of business and in all um, roles, actually, not just the CIO or CTO or CEO, but across the executive suite. And it is a really challenging time. Um, I think if there is a major transformation going on, it it does depend a little bit on where you are in the transformation process. If you're very early on, that new executive may want to put a stop to things and say, I need to like wrap my arms around what's happening here. And so there's work to do to get them kind of sold on the transformation effort and, and the investment and what's happening. If it's really far down the road, then it may be about getting that new executive out into the field and hearing the voices of the users and um, getting them engaged in a visceral and visible way so that they really see what the future state, how close you are and what the future state is going to take. I think sometimes we miss that opportunity with new executives to get them um, grounded in both what has historically been the reality and what the future vision looks like. And they need to be able to connect those dots, even if they're new. Right. And so that often, by the way, like I've seen these you know, I see these executives come into new roles and they have like a stack of paper this high, you know, but virtual now. So it's all digital. But, you know, they've got a stack of emails that goes on for days with all sorts of data and great information. They need that. But they also need to hear stories. Right. They need to hear something that helps them put it in context. And so I would say don't miss the opportunity to create to give these new leaders, these new executives access to the narrative, right? What's actually happening in the field with the users and tell those stories as effectively as possible. You need data. You also need stories in order to be able to have a full understanding of the context that you're coming into. And I think if you can do that with a new leader, then um, you start to get, uh, you start to drive alignment to the vision of the future uh, much more quickly. Right. Yeah, makes makes yeah. total sense. Um, what about sort of backing up, you know, moving away from the turnover and the turmoil that's caused by executive turnover? If we back up and look at to the beginning of a transformation when there's an evaluation happening and we haven't even really committed to a transformation necessarily yet, or at the very least, we don't know what technology or technologies we're going to be deploying, but we know we need to evaluate our options. What should the leader's involvement be in that evaluation before the transformation? And this question is from uh, Nima on LinkedIn. Yeah, thanks, Nima. I think um, we have an expression around Karakin's group, you know, the uh, expression, if you build it, they will come. And we like to say, if you build it together, they will already be there. Right. And yeah. so if you are, you know, I, I think in that upfront piece, the leadership team, especially if it's a major business transformation that will fundamentally change the way the business is run. The leadership team needs to be engaged and involved, not just in making the decision, like, is this the, which should we choose platform A or platform B or platform C? Like that 
is often best left to the people who are experts in that domain, whatever it might be. But they need to be um, involved in the decision that they too will change and that they too will need to do things differently as they go through this transformation. And so I think the more that you can do that work up front during the decision-making process, the, the better prepared the leadership team is for the work of changing themselves, right? How do they need to start with self and change? But often, unfortunately, and this is not a criticism of vendors, I think this is just a normal sales process, but vendors try to dial that down, right? Like they want it to sound easy and it's gonna be no problem and there won't be any impact on you. But I think the responsibility of senior leaders is to say, clearly there's going to be an impact on us. And so let's talk about that. And how do we get more realistic about that? Right. We're here with Julie Williamson talking about executive leadership roles and responsibilities during digital transformation. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to get back into the conversation in just a moment. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 142. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. Be sure to check it out there. That's the link or the website you can go to to subscribe to the show, as well as to see the live streams of the video uh, broadcast every Wednesday. So again, transformationgroundcontrol.com is where you can find that. And we're here in the midst of a conversation with Julie Williamson talking about executive leadership roles and responsibilities during digital transformation, let's jump back into the conversation. And then, you know, along those lines too, if we're, as we're defining that realistic roadmap to move forward, uh, this is another question from Kyler on LinkedIn. Kyler says, this is, that's a great topic. What happens when leadership has biases towards an emerging technology or a specific system? Um, so on one hand, you know, let's assume you've got some sort of alignment, but there's a bias that maybe, you know, isn't best for the business or there's a blind spot amongst the executive team. Yes, they're aligned, but they've got this big blind spot of what those expectations might be that you're just referring to. How do you, how do you navigate yeah. that dynamic? Yeah, and I think that's a similar, I saw another question about, um, there were a lot of employees quitting and they knew it wasn't gonna work, but the executive seemed kind of blind to that, right? And so when, there, when it feels like there's a mismatch between what will, let's just put it in quotes, actually work and um, what decision is being made, Right. I think, um, again, you run into that situation where it feels like the executive team or the senior leaders or the decision makers are removed from the reality of the situation or what um, can be a, what, what is believed to be the most effective path forward. And so um, if 
if there's a, to Kyler's question, if there's a bias, and I'm sure Eric, you see this in the work that you do because you're um, technology agnostic, right? Like you work right. with lots of different vendors and you, you see the full spectrum of what can and can't work in different situations. And the one question that I like to ask leaders is, is there a preference because it feels the most comfortable and like the, like it'll have the least amount of change for you? Or is there a preference because it suits where you want to take the, the business in the future, right? Like what's the, what's driving the bias or the preference? And then try and unpack that a little bit and figure out, is that a valid decision-making criteria? Or is that something that we need to make visible and then put to the side in a really specific way? But right. the key to me there is visibility. Like you've got to figure out what's driving the bias and what's driving the preference or what's driving the belief that this is what we need to do and then decide whether or not it's a valid um, influencer. Right. Is that Eric, what you would typically do in that situation? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and also, you know, along those lines, it's, I'd say the bias, the most, um, what's the word I'm looking for? totally losing the word. There's an adjective I'm, I'm just not finding uh, in my head somewhere, but the, um, <laughs> the, um, the more damaging bias, I guess you'd say is yeah. the more common bias is not so much like, Hey, we want to go implement SAP and I've, I've got a bias for SAP or Microsoft or right. whatever. It's not the specific type of technology. It's usually more of a bias towards what you were mentioning a moment ago around expectations. Like what is this transformation really going to look like? And one thing executives that I've seen that fall, they, they fall prey to very common commonly is the vendor sales messaging and the marketing messaging, because it all sounds so good. Like, it's like, mm -hmm. that's exactly what I want. I want that easy button. Yeah. And yeah. I want that uh, technology that has pre-configured industry best practices and an accelerated implementation timeframe. It's going to mitigate risk. It's going to minimize costs. It's, it sounds awesome. And as an executive, more commonly, I'm more likely to fall into that trap because I don't know. I'm not part, you know, I'm not on the front lines doing this stuff every day. And so I think that bias is really the more common one that we see. It's not so much like I'm biased towards a technology, but rather I'm biased towards a, an unrealistic way of doing a yeah. transformation. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's so fascinating. It's such a great point that there is no easy button, right? I'm always telling executive teams this, like it is going to be hard. And so right. we think of this, like uh, this stat that 80% of digital transformations fail. Yeah, in part because of unrealistic expectations, right? Like people think, well, it should be easy or people just have to start, you know, flip the switch. We'll just flip the switch. And again, I'll go back to, if you are transforming your business, it will require leaders to lead differently. Like it, that to me is an, is an inescapable fact. If you are going to continue to lead the business in the same way as you always have, then you have failed to transform your business. So transformation is not just getting a new system up and running. It's thinking about how do we lead this business in a very different way. And I saw a question about whose responsibility is it to make sure that leaders are doing that, right? Well, it does start with the CEO or the president or the most senior leader acknowledging that, yeah, I need to do things differently. And as leaders, we need to do things differently. And here's the, the challenge though, what, what you need to do to lead differently, that's not the same thing as users needing to learn a new system or a new process, right? Mm -hmm. 
And so that's why, you know, again, I'll go back to the importance of change management for the majority of the people in the organization who need to be taken on a change journey. But that's a very different set of tools than what it takes to help an executive team to stay aligned to the transformation and to how they need to lead differently. And that's the enduring question that, by the way, Karakin's group is built to ask, right? That's why I'm, or built to answer. That's why I'm so passionate about it because it is different than, um, you know, making sure that they're pushing out communications and that they're sending people to training and that they're doing all of their sponsorship jobs, right? They should do that. But there is another body of work that says we as a leadership team have to come together and figure out how we lead this transformed organization differently. And answering that question, I believe, or failing to answer that question holds back transformation, but answering it accelerates the success of transformations um, in all different ways, whether it's a technology transformation or an organizational redesign or a sales transformation or whatever it might be. Answering that question, I think, is um, a massive accelerator for transformations. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. and one thing, you know, one word of advice that, um, you know, I can share with the audience just from my personal experience, and I'd be curious to see what you think of this, Julie, but um, I've told this story a million times on this podcast before, but I'll tell it again because it's relevant here. And that is that when I when I um, when I first met my wife um, at the time, she had two kids, right? They were two and five years old, and uh, we ended up getting married, obviously. And um, I quickly realized, wait, I'm going to be a dad too, right? So I, I need to figure out like how to be a parent because I had no idea what I was doing. And some might argue I still have no idea what I'm doing, but. <laughs> Um, 12 years ago when we first met and got engaged and everything, um, I went and bought the book, uh, love and logic. And it's a book, it's a, it's basically child psychology and it's about how to, how to raise kids and how to give them choices and options. Mm -hmm. So in, rather than having a, a authoritarian style of parenting where they're more likely to push back and rebel as they get older, you give them choices. And obviously the psychology is that you give them choices that are acceptable to you. Or yeah. you're, you give them one really bad choice that obviously they're not going to want and you give them the choice that you want and that's yeah. more appealing to them. Yeah. So the reason I bring all this up is I've, I, I learned a lot about parenting through that book, but I also found that it's highly effective with executive too. Not that you need to treat executives like children necessarily, but mm -hmm. it, it gets back to the basics of human psychology of, okay, right. you want the easy button. Okay, you can have the easy button, but here's what, here's what it's going to look like. Here's what the outcome is yeah. going to look like if you go the easy button route. Or you could go the path that you're describing that you, you're advocating. I think you and I are both advocating in this conversation, which is it's hard work. You got to roll up your sleeves. You've got to be involved, engaged, all that stuff. And here's what that outcome looks like. And so you pick a path. And instead of saying, well, I want the easy button and the positive outcome and, and the really good outcome, you can't have that. They don't coexist in the same world. So you pick one, whatever one you want. You, you can have either yeah. option. And so I, yeah. I find that that's, that can be very effective is, is to paint a picture to executives of what their actions or lack of actions or different scenarios of what their actions might look like, you know, how does that play out over time? And is that something you guys deal with in terms of educating and sort of helping them see what could be if they yeah. do, or don't do certain things? Yeah. We tell them, you know, you have to choose your heart, choose which heart you want. Right. It's hard being where you are right now because your competition is smoking you and your customers aren't that thrilled and your employees are struggling, right? So that's hard. Where you are right now is hard and transforming is going to be hard. So which hard do you want? Like there, there is no easy option, right? Like, so right. don't, we don't even put the easy button on the table, right? Like if you want to keep going the direction that you're going, that's going to be tr tricky. 
or you go through this transformation and you get where you need to go, knowing that for a period of time, it's going to get really hard, but then it's going to get better. Right. And so how do you, how do you lean into that? And I think that framing can help people help executives to do the work that they need to do. And then, you know, I always tell leadership teams or, and you've heard me say this before as well, Eric, organizations will, cannot transform while leaders are busy doing far more important things, right? right? Like it just, it's not going to happen. So if leaders aren't willing to take the time to commit to how to, to having the conversations with them, with each other about how do we need to lead differently, then they're, because they're far too busy doing far more important things, then they are failing their duty in terms of the transformation of the organization. And that's a tough message for leadership teams because they do feel like they're very busy and very important and they have a lot of time pressures and they do, they have very big jobs and they have very important things that they need to do. But the transformation of the organization that they're asking their people to do is an absolute priority or it should be a priority. And where they demonstrate their alignment to that prioritization is when they decide to spend the time to figure out as a leadership team, how do we, how do we answer the question how are we going to lead differently in the transformed organization? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sort of building on the easy button concept and wants that we all have, <laughs> and including yeah. executives. Uh, this is from Kyler on LinkedIn. Yeah. Kyler says, building on that, we often see executives saying, my company is completely ready for change. The teams will be so excited <laughs> because they're so detached yeah. from reality. Yeah. And yeah. The, the organization is, in fact, scared of the yeah. change. And I'll take it one step further and say that, you know, we commonly see uh, executives that uh, are right when they say that the team and the rest of the organization is excited for change. On the surface, yeah. they might be 100% correct that the team is excited and ready for change. But the problem is you start to peel back the onion of what change means and how people are going to be impacted. And it becomes a threat that people get scared of over time. Inevitably, it seems to always happen yeah. where they start off excited early in the project. They're, you know, The excitement level is way up here. And then as you get into the details of the change, it starts to drop off. And then it, in yeah. many cases, people start to push back, or at the very least, they, they aren't supporting the change because now they're uncertain of what their future holds for them in this new transformation world that we're going to go through. So how do you deal with that? I mean, how have you seen organizations deal with that in the past? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's funny from a social science perspective, right? It's, it makes a lot of sense. As long as it's conceptual, it sounds great. But when it comes to like, okay, I've got to wake up and do something different, now it's hard, right? And so <laughs> I think the closer it gets to impacting you personally, the, the higher the anxiety level goes. And that's where change management tools really come into play, right? Like how do we bring people on that journey? How do we have consistent communication? How do we get them into training at the right time? All of those things. Um, I think though, most people in most organizations, if you've been in the workforce for a minute, you've been on a failed transformation effort, right? You And you have watched your leadership team get all excited about something, and you've taken on all the extra work and you know tried to make it happen only to have the leadership team get distracted by something else or decide that it's not the right direction or lose interest or whatever or have a, a change out in leadership team and now suddenly you're heading in a different direction right and i think you know it when we think about what um what generates um, excitement for people and how people can buy into things. One of the things that we know works really well is when leaders share their own stories, right? Mm -hmm. And being authentic and being um, willing to say, I know we've asked you to go on this ride before, 
And, you know, we know that there has been previous experiences where, you know, we've, we've lost sight of the end goal or we haven't fully um, committed to the transformation or whatever that might be. And here's how this is going to be different. And here's what you can look for here, are the signals you can look for to know that we're still fully committed mm-hmm. and we're going to keep showing up, right? The more that leaders can be out in front of that fear that we're going to get, we're going to buy in and we're going to get all excited. And then you're going to let us down as a leadership team, right? That's where people get really anxious is when they, they perceive that leader energy and attention has gone elsewhere. And now the transformation is going to flop again, right? Right. And so they don't want to do that. They don't want to stay on that crazy train, right? And so they opt out. But the more that leaders can get ahead of that and stay, again, visibly, actively engaged in how they're changing, not just how they expect other people to change, the more people can stay confident that leaders are still there, that they're still present, that they're having that really consistent energy level around the transformation rather than juicing it and then dropping it and then juicing it and then dropping it. And then people just get exhausted with that. Right. We're here with Julie Williamson talking about executive leadership roles and responsibilities during digital transformation. We've got a lot more to cover. We're going to get back into the conversation in just a moment, but first we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 142. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. Be sure to check it out there. That's the link or the website you can go to to subscribe to the show, as well as to see the live streams of the video uh, broadcast every Wednesday. So again, transformationgroundcontrol.com is where you can find that. And we're here in the midst of a conversation with Julie Williamson talking about executive leadership roles and responsibilities during digital transformation, let's jump back into the conversation. Now, what about um, this dynamic, which I, I imagine you've probably seen in yeah. your career, but this is from Varun on LinkedIn. Varun says, I've seen people turn passive aggressive, which can derail the transformation. Change management is a critical component and timely alignment with executive leaders is a key. What are your thoughts on that that comment? Yeah, Varun, that passive aggressive behavior, I've definitely seen it, Eric. I'm sure you have as well. Yeah, in plenty of times. And I agree with you. That's where change management tools can really be very powerful. Um, They can help um, bring that to the surface and make it visible. It does take leadership alignment and leadership engagement, I think, to push through that passive aggressive behavior and, and be willing to, executives sometimes have to make very hard decisions Um, If they really want to transform the organization, I'll give you a great example that I've seen plenty of times. Um, Eric, how many sales transformations have you seen in 
like dozens. I mean, dozens. Dozens. Of yeah. Like so, so sales. many. Yeah. yeah. So many. Right. And inevitably in a sales transformation, there can be a situation where you have a rainmaker, right? Someone who's such a great salesperson and they're just like, nope, I'm opting out of this. Like I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just going to keep, you know, making my numbers. And as long as I make my numbers, I don't have to change. And that's that passive aggressive behavior, right? They're like, oh, you know, nominally it's a good idea, but don't get in my way. Right. Right. Sometimes it's not even passive, right? Sometimes right. it's sometimes like, it's <laughs> yeah, sometimes <laughs> it's just full on aggressive. So, um, when you see that situation, the only way to manage that is for an executive sometimes to be willing to make some really hard choices about that individual or how that person is showing up. And they might be a really valued colleague or really valued resource. They might be a really important part of your revenue puzzle, right? Um, but the, the way in which executives help the change management team to deal with that situation is a really visible symbol to the rest of the organization about how serious they are about the transformation. Because if you believe in the transformation effort and in the future state being better than the current state, then that means that everybody, even your rainmakers have to go along for the ride. And so those kinds of examples, I think are really um, important to look for and how do you create visibility around um, those passive aggressive or aggressive aggressive behaviors and make sure that executives are involved and engaged in helping to move forward with them and not just leave it up to the change management team to try and figure out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you bring up a really interesting point because I, I think that during transformations, we often assume that the highest performing people and those A team players are going to be the most supportive. They're the ones that are most on board and they're going to be sort of our change agents and our faces of change and all that stuff. And that may be true. And that may be a, a possibility and a good thing to shoot for, but what ends up happening in a lot of, um, especially in like highly manual work environments where there's not a lot of automation and, and we're sort of, we're thriving through heroics and tribal knowledge. And it's the stuff in my head that's making me successful. And it's the stuff that I do to overcome these crappy systems I have. That's what's making me successful. And, and so those heroics create this false sense of because I'm such a team player and I'm such a high performer. I'm probably going to be on board with the change more than others. And I'm probably going to be a, you know, a good change agent or a face of change. But the reality is I might be the one to most likely push back on the change, not because I want to sabotage the project or sabotage the company, but because now my, my heroism is at risk because right, now you're going to, yeah. you're going to automate the job. You're going to put in better tools. that Other people could be just as good as me in my job. And so it, it's, it's a, it's a sort of a loss or a perceived loss that a lot of times you're a player's, experience in these sorts of transformations. Have you seen that before? Or, or and if so, how, how do you see organizations overcome that dynamic? Yeah, I think identity is a real, um, is a very real factor in change, right? So how deeply do I identify with the way that we've always done things and my role in that? And people can see very clearly how they fit in the existing organization. But you know, there's an old expression, right? Um, we can always we can always see what we stand to lose, but we can't envision what we stand to gain. Mm. It's very difficult to envision what you stand to gain. And so right. I think there is a sense of loss that comes with transformation. And there is a sense of um, concern around where do I fit in and what's my role and how do I contribute in the transformed organization? Most people 
they want to grow and they want to contribute, right? Like those are two really fundamental things that people want to do in an organizational structure. And they know how to do that in the existing system, even if it's a bad system. Right. And they don't know how to do that in the transformed system. And so, again, I'll go back to something I said earlier, action precedes clarity in these cases, right? Sometimes you have to just start moving there so that you can start to see the future. But the, the role of change management often is to help people bridge that space between the old and the new and to get them to take the actions that they need to take to create the clarity about where they fit in. You can create clarity about what's the new process and what, you know, how do you, what's the data entry or what's the manual process that you're going to do that'll be automated, but it's the clarity about where do I fit in? and How do I continue to be a valued part of this group that I think um, is the, the sticking point for a lot of people in those situations that you've described. Right. And so leaders can play a role in that by sharing their own story about what, how is it confusing for them about where they fit in in the future? By the way, leaders, I think part of why we don't see leader alignment and activation in times of transformation is because leaders can't bridge that gap. They know how to solve the problems of today and how to lead effectively. That's, and in the current system is how they got promoted. Mm. And so if we're gonna change the system, where do they fit in? And how do they continue to be successful leaders? So they're on their own bridge across those two points, right? And the more that they can share that, like find the, the more that we can help them to, again, make visible those mindsets, those group dynamics that they're struggling to change and help them to articulate that in an effective way, then they can start to really lead the way for others to do the same. Right. But it's yeah. a really, it's, it's a challenging thing. Like I said, there is no easy button. There's only hard or hard. Right. <laughs> you yeah. have to choose between those two hearts. Yeah. Which way, which one do you want yeah. and which one you're yeah. willing to support? Um, yeah. Here's another uh, really interesting yeah. point from Kyler on LinkedIn. Sometimes aggressive resistance is the best kind because you can see it and then you, you know yeah. what to do with, you know what to do at that point, but it's the quiet resistance that is deadly to a project. And I cannot agree more with that. It's that, it's that more mm -hmm. subtle like I'm not full on sabotaging the project. I'm not full on being difficult, but I'm not super excited about it either. And I'm not really supporting it as much as I could. It's that sort of middle ground that seems to be the the hardest to detect and to address. Would, would you agree yeah. with that? And if so, you know, what are some strategies to overcome that dynamic? I totally agree with that. I think I would, I'm always happy when somebody says, I do not agree with this. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> You're like, okay, I can work with that. Right? Right. Um, here's the funny thing is we, um, we like to point, so sometimes kind of point fingers at people like the doers in the organization that are in that space. And again, from a Kerrigan's group perspective, we see that behavior from a leadership space and it is often, you know, at a senior leadership level, they're like, well, you know, give me a call when it's done. Right. right. <laughs> There's like that kind of attitude. Right. And um, I think that's being able to make that visible. We talk about making the invisible visible and whether it's with, you know, someone who's in a mid-level or um, doer level in the organization who is exhibiting that kind of quiet resistance 
or not exhibiting it and you have to discover it. Whereas at a leadership level, visibility is the key, right? Like you have to bring it out of the dark and into the light. You have to be able to give words to it. You have to be able to give shape to it. And I'll go back to something I talked about earlier, which is the power of storytelling, right? Being able to have not just um, the data because data is one important tool, but being able to give examples and show, you know, kind of talk in stories around here's the situation and here's where we're seeing this quiet resistance. And here's the kind of attitude or the belief structure that people are bringing into it that can start to make that more visible and more manageable. Um, so I would really encourage people to lean into that idea of what are the stories that help make this example visible and accessible to people rather than just going after data that you can hammer people with. Right. Right. And here's a question from William on YouTube, which is sort of yeah. along the same lines here, but, um, William asked the question of when you're working with executives who have low respect among employees and difficulty getting buy-in, do you try to solve historical cultural issues out front or just move forward with your plan? And I love this yeah. question because it's back to your point. It's not an easy answer and there's no easy path forward. Yeah. But what do you do yeah. here in this case? You know, William, that's when, you know, like you go unlock the safe and you pull out your magic fairy dust and you throw it out. <laughs> just like this will fix it no it's such a great question william there and you're right it is so hard when you have an executive who's already kind of broken faith with the employee population or that or they've been on the roller coaster before and you know you know they have a maybe the executive has a reputation for being flighty like shiny object syndrome or whatever um and i do believe that it is important to get ahead of those cultural norms, right? Those like deeply held beliefs about how this organization manages transformation. Um, and by the way, I've seen from a social science perspective, it's fascinating. These stories permeate generations in an organization. So you can have an organization where they had a failed transformation 10 years ago and 50% of the employee population wasn't there when that happened. But they'll tell you, oh, the reason we're not good at transformation is because, yeah, fairy dust is underrated. The reason they're not good at transformation is because 10 years ago, we tried that and it didn't work. And you're like, you weren't even here. How do you know that story? It's because stories replicate through time, right? People keep telling the same stories over and over again. And so you have to get to what are the organizational stories or beliefs about transformation and even about this CEO or this leadership team. Right. What are the stories people keep telling? And then how do we start to deconstruct those stories instead of how do we convince people that this time is going to be different? Hmm. Right. So I do believe, William, that there is value in understanding those cultural norms and those stories that are being replicated about the leadership team. Sometimes it's just like the ambiguous leader. Right. Like. But what are those beliefs that are out there and how do we give voice to them? And then how do we start to reshape those narratives in an effective way? And that can be um, much more effective than just trying to uh, convince people through you know, great marketing that this time is going to be different. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, very, very well put. And that's a great, great question. Um, so I guess just to summarize is sort of a capstone question here. Let's say I'm part of an organization that is struggling with getting the organizational buy-in and support I need and or I'm not getting the alignment I need from the executive team and mid-level management all the way you know, down the org, which trickles down the organization. 
what closing advice or sort of next steps or first steps would you suggest to organizations that are dealing with some of these executive alignment and buy-in sorts of issues? Yeah, I think first and foremost is um, clarity around the sponsorship role. Executives absolutely need to engage as sponsors of the transformation in visible ways, and there are change management tools and resources for doing that. So that is important. However, it's insufficient for them as executive sponsors for the, they can't just sit in the sponsor role. They have to actually do the work as leaders and as a leadership team to figure out for themselves how they're going to lead differently. And that is not the same as sponsoring the change for other people. So um, asking them how they're going to change their, how they lead. And if they don't have a good answer for that, then helping them get to a good answer for that is really important. And how they're going to lead differently starts with what are their mindsets and deeply held beliefs about how they're leading today and what's great about how they're leading today and what is lacking and how they're going to close those gaps as they go forward. And then finally is understanding across the leadership team, what are the group dynamics that are driving their behaviors as leaders and how do those group dynamics need to be reshaped in a transformed organization? And I would simply remind them that if the organization is transforming, they cannot continue to lead the way that they've led historically. If they can continue to lead the way they've led historically, they have not transformed the organization. Right. So I think that, you know, getting that message across to them is a really important um, step in this process. And right. like I said, I understand that it is a different set of tools and it is a different uh, methodology leader activation than change management. Change management is a very specific discipline. And this idea of how do we activate leaders around it requires having different kinds of conversations with a different group of people. And so I would just say, don't try and point your change management tools at executive leaders. It likely will not work. Right, right. Good, yeah. good point. And you have a uh, resource that we can all access to help us learn more about this topic, right? Is it, Tell us a little bit. Yeah. About Out on our um, website, we have a, a set of coffee breaks and there's one specifically about leader activation. So if you want to visit that, um, there's some resources out there and a PDF download that has some ideas and some tricks and tips for driving leader activation. And um, yeah, we'd love to chat with anyone who's interested in knowing more about it. All right. Thank you, Julie. Great conversation. Appreciate you being here and uh, look forward to having you here on the show again at some point in the future. Uh, great conversation. And that's a topic we haven't really dove or dived, dived or dove uh, into during this uh, podcast in the past. So it's great to finally unpack that topic in a bit more detail. And uh, in fact, we have some takeaways and uh, some things we want to dive into in a little bit more detail uh, in just a moment. But first, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you when I go out. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling with Third Stage Consulting and your host of Transformation Ground Control. I want to encourage you to read our Guide to Organizational Change Management. It's a free report or a free guide that we published. It's one that I actually wrote that talks about best practices and lessons learned as it relates to change management. So as you know, on this podcast, we cover a lot of stuff related to the human sides of change, organizational change management, including training, communications, org design, all kinds of stuff as it relates to change management. So if you're trying to learn more about change management or you're looking for more direction and ideas on how to get started on your change management strategy and your overall journey, be sure to check out this guide. You can read it by scanning the QR code on the screen in front of you 
or in the links below for this particular podcast episode, you can find a link to uh, take you to the page that will allow you to register to go ahead and download that and read it for free. So be sure to check it out. It's the Guide to Organizational Change Management uh, written by yours truly. I hope you enjoy it. Let me know what you think and hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 142. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. So be sure to check us out there. So we just had Julie Williamson on the show, Kyler, to talk about executive leadership and roles and responsibilities during digital transformation. What were some of your thoughts and takeaways from that conversation? Well, I mean, there were there were so many um, great insights into that conversation. I, I think the one thing that she said um, that really resonated with me is the way that you lead during a digital or business transformation, it needs to change and kind of adapt to supporting that project. And I can only imagine how difficult that is at an executive level. Well, you know, when you have no one above you kind of coaching you, kind of, you know, bringing things to your attention where you could create improvements or opportunities. And of course, you can get that from your your team below you. But I can only imagine as a digital transformation leader, especially if you don't know what you're going into as the executive sponsor, how do you prepare you know, to get to that point where, hey, I know that I have to adapt to support my team, but what's the how behind that? Yeah. Well, you know, I think a lot of it's just understanding. I mean, that, that was a big part of why I was excited to have Julie on the show is because a lot of times we talk about executive buy-in and alignment and support and all that stuff. And executives think that, okay, well, you know, I signed the check, I approved the project, I sent out an email to all the employees. So therefore I'm supporting the project and we're all aligned. And there's, you know, alignment and support is a lot more nuanced than that. And, and so I think helping executives understand what it means and why it's so important and what the consequences are of not doing those things. I think that's really the most important first step is to, to create that awareness. Yeah, that's all great insight um, from both you, Eric and Julie. Um, and I, I wonder if we could turn to the audience quickly um, to to just pop in the comments. What's the most important thing an executive sponsor can do for you to support a business transformation or a digital implementation project? Um, I'd really be interested to hear that and even aggregate it for some of our thought leadership materials so we could kind of share what our community thinks um, from their overall experience, since we do have such a diverse network here. Um, but I, I, you know, I think that that's so important. And I, I love the field of dreams reference. And for the, for those of you that had not grown up on the fields of dreams, like I have, it's the, if they build it, they will come. Um, and the understanding of kind of the want behind that and the motivation of, they're already there, but how do you ensure that they're engaging with kind of those user adoption strategies or understand how it will benefit their roles and responsibilities in the company? And, and to me, that all kind of really comes down to an effective comms plan. I know I was kind of going back and forth with some of our, our great comments in um, the chat, but it my analytical brain goes to like, oh, that all sounds so good, but how do you ensure that the alignment is not only in the executive level, but it continues to filter and trickle down the organization. I think that can be one of the hardest 
parts is, you know, it's almost like a waterfall. If the waterfall stops or gets stuck at a part, then it's the water's not going to fall down and kind of pool into the, the bigger body of water. So I wonder kind of what your thoughts are on, okay, you may have alignment, you may have agreement at the executive level, but how do you ensure that you're understanding those motivations and they're trickling down through each layer of the organization? Yeah, it's a great question and, and sort of a part two or a build on to what Julie and I were chatting about, which is, you know, we, we spent so much time talking about executive alignment, but we didn't talk about what next. So you get executives aligned, they're all bought in, they're supportive, they're demonstrating the right behavior, all that stuff. Well, the next step then, you know, that is an important first step. It lays the foundation and the backdrop for, for the waterfall that you're talking about, but it's not going to happen unless now we move down the organization to mid-level management. And oftentimes mid-level management is the hardest to change or the hardest to navigate change with because they're sort of in the middle, you know, they're caught in the crossfire between frontline employees and, and executives. And a lot of times there's, when there is misalignment, you know, they get, they sort of get stuck in the middle of that and that creates a certain amount of tension and resistance to change that, that usually is unintentional, but you know, you also get pretty political at the mid-level management level too, where people are protecting their turf and their fiefdoms and all that stuff. And they're suddenly going to become potentially threatened by, uh, potential integration of business processes and looking at end-to-end -end workflows. Now you're sort of you're sort of stepping into my domain and disrupting my fiefdom when you do that, or my silo within the organization. And even though it may be better for the organization, it may be a threat to me personally. So you got to work through all that stuff. And so mid-level management, you know, you could argue. I, I would love to, you know, have asked Julie this when she was on, and maybe we'll ask her next time she's on. But you know, is mid-level management? alignment more of a problem and more important than executive alignment? I don't, I don't have a good answer to that. I'd be curious to see what she thinks, but I think you could make a pretty strong case that it's a, at least as important or pretty close to as important as getting executive alignment is making sure that your mid-level management is, is aligned as well. Yeah, I think it's more important. And we actually, we have a video of this on our channel. If you want to kind of dig into the mid-level level management um, on our YouTube channel for third stage, because when when the executive alignment or agreement kind of fades or when you do have a turnover at an executive level, being able to have that alignment on that mid-management tier, tier and the motivation and communication already clear there, that's when they go back to say, remember, this is why we're doing, you know, those types of things to the executive. Because we talk a lot about you got to have to have empathy for that executive because there's so many other things that are going on within, you know, their world and being a leader in the organization um, that sometimes they do forget, you know, what, what the overall um, objectives of the project are and they rely on their team to remind them. That's when the listening piece and being aware of, you know, what's going on is so important, like you just referenced. But I'd be curious to turn to the audience. Do you think that executive alignment is more important or the mid-level um, manager alignment is more important. And of course, it's going to be a balance between the two, but I'd be curious to hear from, from the audience as well. And of course, it depends, right? It depends on the organization and, and your culture and all of those different things. Um, but definitely a, a great conversation. Um, highly recommend um, following Julie and checking out her thought leadership um, as she does have so much great insight and a great a lot of great assets. If you haven't looked at the links that we popped in there, um, definitely check them out as they're, you know, really helpful and tactical um, in securing kind of that executive alignment or just the overall alignment within the organization. So great conversation. Thank you so much, Eric. And thank you to Julie. Yeah. And if you check out her her coffee break materials too, those are pretty cool. And it's, it's uh, they have a good way of 
sort of simplifying some pretty complex topics like executive alignment and sort of boiling it down for uh, for all of us to understand in a, in a better way. So really appreciate having her on the show and look forward to having her on again at some point in the future. So uh, thank you, Julie, and thank you to the audience for the great questions there uh, too. I know, Kyler, you had a lot of questions behind the scenes during the during the interview, so thank you for those great questions too. That that opened up a lot of interesting and good good conversation too. So, well, good. Well, uh, we're going to shift gears a bit and uh, move away from uh, executive leadership roles and responsibilities, although you can never really move away from it fully. But we are going to shift gears and talk about a different topic um, and focus on a different topic. I'd be curious to see if we end up somehow coming back to that, though. It seems like it always send, tends, tends to come back oh, to either change management yeah. or it depends. You know, those are the two givens on the show is you're going to end up in one of those two buckets at some point. Uh, but we're going to have Jeff Nelson on the show who you're going to have a chance to chat with here, Kyler, to talk about digital transformation and distribution and field services. So this will be a, a great conversation. I like, I, I look forward to this conversation. I like this topic because it is sort of a nook and cranny of the tech space that is oftentimes overlooked, but yet for a lot of organizations, field services and the overall distribution processes are, um, even though they're two different things, I mean, they're, they're very much related, but, but a lot of organizations have pretty nuanced and unique needs in those areas. And so it'll be interesting to get into that in a little bit more detail. So we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll have Jeff Nelson on the show talking about, or talking with Kyler about uh, digital transformation and field services. We'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with that conversation. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Hello and welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 142. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. So be sure to check that out to subscribe and listen and watch the streams and all that good stuff, transformationgroundcontrol.com. So uh, excited for our next guest, Jeff Nelson, who's going to be on the show to talk about distribution or digital transformation and digital uh if I could talk, I could get the topic right too, but he's going to talk about digital transformation in field services and distribution as well. Um, you, you're going to sit down with Jeff and, and chat about that. So uh, let me hand it over to you, Kyler, to lead that conversation. Thanks so much, Eric. I'm so excited to have Jeff, Jeff Nelson from the Third Stage team join us today to talk about all things field service management um, and part of our delivery team here. So Jeff, welcome um, and thank you for joining us today. Um, if you could Thanks, just give our give our audience a little um, introduction to your background and your role here at Third Stage. Sure, so prior to joining Third Stage, I was with a field service management company that uh, we were doing field technician work for a major e-commerce provider, right? So think if you 
order a television off an e-commerce site and you're offered the opportunity to have that TV delivered and installed, hung on your wall, we would do that, right? So that's just one example of many of the field services that we offered. And prior to that, I was with a company that was in the telecommunications construction space. So scheduling work crews at, uh, I think, cell sites uh, all over the country for um, either installing new technologies or working on reported problems at a cell okay. site. So technology behind that has been something I've been interested in and always searching for the better platform for really the last 20 years of my uh, career prior to, to joining Third Stage a couple of years ago. Well, it sounds like we're talking to the right person for this conversation. So thank you for taking the time um, to, to you know, kind of take us through some of these nuances. So I think it's important when we have these conversations to understand how you, how you um, define service management and field service management specifically, and it's important to the business. I know you kind of touched on how important it can be to some businesses, but really how important is it to consider that when you are looking at a new technology? Well, that's a great question. So when I think of field service, I think of two really distinct types, right? There's kind of the planned preventative maintenance. Maybe someone has a defined route servicing vending machines or doing plan maintenance on, uh, you know, HVAC systems or an exterminator, mm -hmm. those kind of things versus on demand, right? Where the night before I've got all these appointment windows that my customers have been booking I've got 50 technicians in that market, and I've got to plan the most uh, efficient route for each one of those technicians matching the right uh, skill set to the right jobs at the right mm -hmm. time with the right equipment and take into account traffic and all those, all those things uh, versus being able to say, okay, here's my preventative maintenance route for the next six weeks, mm -hmm. and we can plan that out, right? So two really different types of of uh, of applications there. Uh, obviously, the on-demand one where you're running routines in the middle of the night system to build routes and then have technicians do those, you know, have access to those the next morning on their on their handheld devices so they can efficiently work the, 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 uh, the jobs for the day is probably the more um, tech-heavy one, if you will, and requires the most out of a robust optimization engine. Absolutely. So before we kind of dig into those requirements or the, those specific needs, we have a lot of questions, especially from our audience of is field service considered distribution or what's kind of the difference between those two nuances when you're considering a new system for your organization? It could be considered distribution when there's a delivery uh, mm -hmm. right component to it, right? Whether that's B2B or B2B to, B to, uh, residential customer. Um, and that brings on another complexity of, okay, now I've got to pick up my delivery materials for the day, right? So I need to start my day at a warehouse, right? Maybe the truck is loaded at night and I come in that morning and my personal vehicle hop in the truck and then I have my day versus do I take the truck home with me at night? So you've got a lot more nuances around that distribution piece of it. 
Absolutely. And it's it sounds like when you are considering that for an organization that might be heavy in distribution or, or heavy in field service management, there's a lot of requirement mapping that takes place. So just kind of backing up to some of the first steps when you are an industry or a specific organization that is really heavy, heavily reliant on your field service management tactics. How do you ensure that you understand them before going to review new technologies? Well, you really need to have a deep dive of all the use cases that that the particular organization has. Right? I'll give an example of a of a, a complexity that, frankly, we were never really able to solve, and that was the need to do crewing or teaming. Right. So, if you think about, I'm a I'm a technician, or I'm a delivery and installer and I have 10 or 15 jobs on my truck for the day to deliver and install. Two of those jobs require two men or two people because they're heavier equipment, right? Or it's an 85 inch television and only uh, one person can only install up to 55 inch. So for two of those jobs for the day, I need a second person. Well, it's not efficient to put two people in the truck all day when only two of 15 of my jobs require a second person. So now you get into, we got to meet at the job site, right? Mm-hmm. So now I've got at, at the inside of that specific customer's window, right? Without one of you having to sit around waiting for an hour for the second person to arrive. So we that was a really interesting use case. And we took that to, oh, a number of different software providers when I was in the industry. And frankly, we never got it solved. Now that's been a couple of years ago. So there might be a great answer for that out there that I'm not aware of. But that was a that was a really unique use case that um, that again we never solved for. And it sounds like based on what you're saying, understanding that and really going through each of those scenarios before you approach right. vendors, so that you're able to have that awareness is really critical. Yeah, absolutely. I I think we would have made a different buying decision when we bought our software package, knowing that they didn't have an answer for that up front. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't think we understood the need very well either when we had the buying decision of uh, the system that we that we did employ. And that's you know absolutely pivotal and understanding those those pieces especially in really those opportunity areas and integrating with vendors. So speaking of kind of moving towards vendors if you are heavy in field service or um, field service management what are some kind of top vendors that you should look at or consider knowing right that the precursor is you need to understand your own requirements before any vendor can understand your requirements right yeah so personally i've seen uh demonstrations or or have insight and and was a user of a system a field service system um, with Microsoft Dynamics 365 for FNO has a field service component. Uh, the NetSuite um, ecosystem has a number of suite partners that have field service in them that do a really good job. Um, I've seen third parties, right? Uh, a company comes to mind uh, called Zinnier in Northern California that had a really intriguing product, right? There's there's industry-specific products in the energy sector, right, for, you know, electricity crews, right, working on down power lines um, after storms, right? Uh, geez, that one doesn't come to mind. Arcos, Arcos um, is a, is another system that I'm familiar with, or at least have some interaction with. So uh-huh. there are both 
you know, big players in inside of ERP systems and also uh, niche, niche systems as well. So that sounds very complicated in, in a situation where you might not know what you don't know, right? So when you are, you know, heavy in that industry, what are the importance of really engaging a third-party independent technology agnostic partner to help you kind of navigate a lot of those? Because two of those systems you just mentioned right now are two I in the industry have never heard of before. So yep. understanding kind of how do you build out that core team, that insurance policy for your project to make sure that you do know who to kind of look for in the industry? Yeah, well, I think you you have to know how to look, right? And yeah finding that niche system for your particular industry, right? There are a lot of people out there who've solved problems that are just not well known, right? Across yeah. the broader broader industry. So there's a networking component to it as well, right? There are field yeah. service organizations that can help, you know, and trade shows and the, and the like that can help make those connections. But yeah, having a, having a third party looking on your behalf who can take the, Take the time to understand your needs, right? And perhaps mm -hmm. ask questions that, that you wouldn't have thought of asking yourself in terms of, uh, you know, doing a search for a good fit for your, your field service management needs. Okay, we're here with Jeff Nelson and Kyler chatting about digital transformation in field services. We've got a lot more to cover, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more Transformation Ground Control. Aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, Contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 142. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham and Kyler is sitting down with Jeff Nelson from the third stage consulting team talking about digital transformation in field services. Let's jump back into the conversation. So when you are in an evaluation phase, you've sourced your vendors, you, you feel confident about that. What are some key questions that you should be asking them? knowing that my you know objective here is to really have full visibility into you know my field service management um, opportunities or overall data what are some questions that you should make sure that you're asking them in the software selection and evaluation maybe during the demos so route planning and optimization is enormously important for a field service organization right the difference between getting you know, five jobs a day done per technician or per employee on average versus five and a half could be the difference between profitability or not, right? Overall for the for the organization, depending on your size and scope. So to me, the optimization of a technician's day, um, taking into account all things considered, right? The things that often aren't are traffic flows, weather conditions, 
you know, you might have a you might have a technician who says, yeah, I'm only half a mile away from this job. That makes a lot of sense. But if you don't take into account road conditions, you might realize that it's only half half a mile away, but there's a river here and the nearest bridge is 20 miles away. So no, I'm not the closest technician, right? So yeah. that would not be a good system that would start my day there. So I, I've seen all of those come into play, right? And uh, being able to match the technician's work uh, capabilities and certifications as, as well, right? So that's that to me is number one. Number two is the ability to build those schedule windows, right? So yeah. uh, uh, and the tighter they are, the more important this is. If you have a, a, a client that's got a two-hour schedule window versus yeah. a you know, the old cable company adage will be there sometime on Tuesday between 8 and 5 p.m., right? That 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 doesn't fly anymore, right? These are, uh, these become very tight service mm-hmm. windows. So, and what I'm really getting at there is if you've got 100 d- different technicians, if you send them all to the same job, some of them are going to finish it in 30 minutes or less. Others might take 45 minutes. The, the new employee might take mm-hmm. an hour and a half. So you need to be able to consider that and that gets into an AI component as well mm-hmm. to where the system should be able to begin to collect statistics on individual technicians and individual uh, geographies and know where's drive time longer, you know, what employee works faster mm-hmm. than others and account for that in the, in the software itself to really be able to optimize that day, right? You want to be able to minimize downtime, maximize uptime, uh, minimize drive time, uh, as much as I would say humanly possible, but this is a technology solution. Yeah. So technologically Machine possible. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. That's right. Those are all such great tactics. I think we're going to have to watch that back and and pull a lot of those um, insights out of there. It reminds me of I grew up in rural Colorado and we had satellite TV. Right. And when that would go out during a snowstorm, my mom would make us all get up on the roof and try and, um, you know, brush the snow off the satellite dish because they wouldn't be there, you know, until a couple weeks out. So definitely understand, you know, times are different. So talking about that evolution of meeting the customer's needs, right? Now we have things like Amazon's Prime Delivery, same day, you know, all of the, now the customer really expects you to be at their house within, you know, a couple hours or something like that. So knowing that there is optimization technologies or emerging technologies like AI to kind of meet those needs, how do you ensure that you're integrating those um, kind of new frontier, if you will, into enterprise technology when it comes to your field service management needs? I think uh, you really need to have a data management plan. Okay. You need to be able to rely on the, the massive amount of data that you that is available to be collected from a field service op- operation to be able to mine that data in the future, right? As AI evolves and as that data, the larger the data set, the more the more insight you can get from it, right? So if you think about a, a, a day in the life of a field service employee, right? Again, whether it's a delivery person, an installer, a, uh, uh, an electrician, just many different use cases. But you think about how much data you can collect just during a day, whether it's their punches on their handheld, hey, I've arrived at a job, here's what I need to do to, here's the resolution, the pictures of my install, the customer signature, to the GPS information on my truck where I can collect and analyze uh, traffic data and idle time, all those things we want to 
try to avoid. So having a data management policy to collect and and wisely store and archive that data mm -hmm. so that it can be mined later, you know, sooner and later <laughs> in terms of training an AI component to your system. Absolutely, because it's, you know, that, that time's old tale of garbage in, garbage out, right? If you don't have good data, the yep. actual new technology is only going to function as clean as the data set is. So definitely a, a great, great um, strategy there. And when it comes to kind of understanding what that looks like for an organization around data governments that might not have the best data management plan um, when considering a new technology, is that a conversation you need to have with the vendor of saying, you know, what is going to be our plan and in integrating this across our organization? Absolutely. If if the vendor you select can't help you with that and have a really good conversation about that, they're, they're the wrong vendor, right? It might not be the wrong technology, but it's the wrong vendor if they're not guiding you down that path of of data management, right? Absolutely. And and when it comes to not only that data management, right, that front end work of making sure when you have a new technology, you're effectively implementing it, it's healthy, you deployed, you you went live with this new technology, all is well and great. But I would assume in an industry that's so complex as field service management, there needs to be a lot of maintenance and project health checks or things like that when it comes to looking, is this still functioning property? because there are so many touch points. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a great uh, that's a great question there. So there's so many variables, right, that that you need to that you need to be considering when planning your field service management, right? And I take it back to that optimization of of a of an employee's day, right? Optimization mm -hmm. of their of their day, their time, their equipment, their vehicle, all that stuff when it is idle, you're losing money. So what are all those variables? And that's gonna that's gonna uh, that's gonna vary so much by industry and by um, by customer type. But understanding what are all the all the components that go into making the decision of who to send where when, right? Mm -hmm. Some industries there might be five or six variables. Others there might be twenty five or thirty. To define every one of those and understand them all and how those get fed into and considered by the technology is something that's going to take, you know, quite a lot of planning, a lot of due diligence up front, and you need to be able to ask the right questions and frankly be asked the right questions by your vendor. And, you know, that's something that I could see organizations such as, such as third stage, a third party agnostic uh, advisor to help make those facilitate those conversations right and open absolutely. up that dialogue you know because there's a yeah. lot to uncover every, every stone oh, is, is a, every stone unturned is new information that needs to be considered and and if you don't consider it it can you know one sort of um crinkle in the system could bring the whole process down or you know go dark in a, a certain area so Definitely um, important that you consider that and understand the, the whole processes. So we've talked a little bit about the processes and the importance of understanding that. We've talked, a, a, you know, we've touched on the technology. What are the, the different opportunities for vendors? What are some niche areas and the implementation planning? Let's talk a little bit about the people side of it, because I'm very interested in, in your insight in this, because it's it sounds like when you have field service management, a lot of time that can be very 
people heavy and understanding kind of that front end users experience because you could go through mapping all of this you could find the perfect technology but if it's not being utilized in the field it becomes completely obsolete i would assume absolutely i mean we've all had the experience of you get a text that says hey your technician is en route to your to your house he'll be there in you know 25 minutes and you can follow along on the gps well that's all enabled by that by that employee telling the technology i'm headed to my next job right mm -hmm. so if they don't do that you're not going to get that that text and the person's going to show up and you didn't have any any forewarning and you're still at the grocery store so you missed the appointment right and now everybody's upset it has to be so fr user friendly for the and intuitive for the employees that are using it out in the field to enable all those really slick cool features that we've all experienced in in that example I was just describing so like you know if they don't if they if it's not easy for them to report the end of their next job where they're going next the end of that job and then progress through their day then you're not going to get that benefit right and you're not going to get the data necessary mm -hmm. that we were just discussing to optimize that the next day, right? To be able to lean on that data from this day to, to optimize the future. So, you know, in understanding the complexities around this, I would assume that things like user adoption and training really need to be considered in the pre-implementation planning. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of that strategy and ensuring that your users are actually looking forward to you know engaging with the new system and the onboarding process is streamlined absolutely so you have to realize that the field service application the technology is going to be utilized at every level of the organization and most importantly one would ar could argue is that endpoint right the delivery driver the technician the the uh, exterminator right the hvac repair person they're gonna to have to be using the technology in the field effectively in order to get the full bang for your buck in terms of managing my work orders, indicating when I'm traveling to the next job, indicating when I've arrived at the next job, not only so that we can inform the customers, but also that we can track all that data so that we can use that in the future to optimize the next day and the next week and the next month's worth of, worth of activity. So you've got to get a excited, and engaged workforce from, from day zero of your project to implement a new field service management module to come out the other end of the implementation project with an engaged and, and uh, useful and excited workforce. All right. Thank you, Kyler. Thank you, Jeff. Great conversation. And that's a topic we have not yet covered on this podcast. So glad to finally uh, touch on that important topic. So thank you for, for being here today. I want to thank the audience for listening here today. We've, we've got a lot more uh, exciting shows coming up in the future, uh, just like this one, but with different topics. So be sure to stick around and, and to stay tuned to the show next week and future weeks as well. You can find the weekly podcast every Wednesday at transformationgroundcontrol.com. You can also subscribe on Apple Music, and you can also uh, watch for the stream every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, or just go to transformationgroundcontrol.com to find all the past and current episodes of the show. So thank you everyone for being here today. Hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next week on Transformation Ground Control. Take care.